wonderful to be here with you today. Open God's Word, look to these good truths together. If you're new or visiting, welcome to Disciples. Good to have you here with today, and we hope that you feel encouraged and loved and, and helped. Our, our commitment is to preach God's Word faithfully and to get out of the way as much as possible. Uh, we really value expository preaching here, where we really take our time to preach through the books of the Bible, to understand God's Word as He's given it to us. Um, seeking that it would mold us, it would shape us, it would convict us, it would move and move us to glorify Him, uh, to know Him for some who do not yet know Him, that God would grant you saving faith and forever change your life. This is our deepest prayer. Um, What a joy it is to know Him, to be His people and to have His Word. And so look with me, church, as we continue in our sermon series here through the the letter of 1 John. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn there with me, we're in the New Testament letter of 1 John. And you can see my Bible's open to it. It's in the very back of your Bible. Um, And we're in chapter 5, and today looking at verse 4 and 5. I want to read that now before we pray. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory That has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? God's good word for us this morning to study and know. Pray with me, church. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for these people, um, the families, the individuals that you're gathering here. To, to seek to know your truths and be obedient to them, to serve you with these days you give us under the sun. Um, do your work, Lord, in us, in all the perfect ways that you would ordain it, the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of many, as we tune in, as we turn off the noise of life and the distractions and the worries that so easily plague us, that we would rest in you, our good God, do your work today in these people. We love you. We pray because of Christ. Amen. Verse 4, opening words, John says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. John is building on what he said in verse 1 of this chapter about God's miraculous work to give new birth, spiritual birth to those whom he has chosen from before time to save. And now he's adding, John's adding some clarity of what some of that means for those who are born again. To help us begin to dig into this part of the letter, we need to really consider who is John referring to when he says the world, that we overcome the world, and in what ways have we overcome it? And before we get in, To the meat of that, let me just remind us, church, that John has already spoken about this in chapter 4, verse 4 and 6 through 6. Let me read that to us, 1 John 4, 4 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
This helps us remember the larger context of John's entire letter, and so therefore a wider view of what he means when he says those who are born of God have overcome the world. Consider the layers, therefore, of who the world is as we consider the context of the entire layer. And and the answer is it's the deceivers. It's the false prophets who were speaking mistruths and trying to lead people astray. It was it was the Antichrist, those who were Antichrist. It's, it is all the falsehoods that those who belong to the world promote that stand against God's good truth and glory. The world are those who lie and deceive and promote false gospels. John is clear throughout his letter to remind his beloved brethren that there are only two teams. Those who belong to the world and those who belong to God. These two teams, or two families as they're referred to, have one of only two spiritual fathers. You either know and serve one, or you know and serve the other. There is no middle ground. Chapter 3, John says it this way, 1 John 3.10, By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Church, we must understand rightly that everyone who remains in their sin, who does not submit their lives to Christ with saving faith, they belong to Satan. The devil is their father. They belong to the economy of the world. Unless God gives you a new heart, new birth, Unless God lays upon you the righteousness of Christ, whereby Christ takes on your sin and the wrath your sin deserves so that you can be forgiven. If this has not happened for you, then you are dead in your sin. You are enslaved in your sin. You are depraved to do nothing but sin. We cannot play light with this. This is a very stark, very sobering reality that Scripture illuminates for us. You can't afford to struggle to hear that so that in your appeasing your flesh, you might kind of turn away from it a little bit, get distracted with something else. No, we must see the stark reality so that there's no confusion or man-made different conclusions that we would arrive at or spin up in our minds to just think differently about it. We must see it clearly as God has revealed it to us in Holy Scripture. So that we would have a bold testimony. So that we would see the truth for what it truly is. All who are not born again of God. All who are not adopted into God's family by the blood of His Son. Are, as Scripture defines them, the sons of disobedience. They are the children of wrath. They are in their sin and they belong to the devil. They are desperate for salvation in Christ alone. So when John says in 1 John 4, 5, 
They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. He's highlighting there, if you remember, their allegiance, their talking points, their thinking, their agenda is not of God, it's the world's. It's man-made, it's secular, it's worldly. Let me be clear, this, this doesn't mean that these people are way out on the margins They're not radicals, as sometimes we might want to paint them. No, they're most often, many of these people, seen as very good, friendly, helpful people. Understand that those who are of the world are any unbelieving person or family in your life. It's your unbelieving friends. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and their allegiance is to the world. Consider with me the words of James regarding this very point. James 4.4 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? To, be, to have allegiance with the world is to be at war with God. Enmity is to be at war. And when he says... Friendship here. He's not just saying buddy. He's buddies. He's, he's talking about a, an affection for the worldly system, a buy-in. James is highlighting that true faith will produce works and priorities that will not mean love and faithfulness to the world's ways, systems of thinking and values and impulses and attractions. James helps his hearers understand that love or embrace of the world's ways and systems and thinking means you're at war with God. Paul agrees when he says in Romans 8-7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Jesus himself makes the point clear. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Christian, we don't represent or align with the world's ways and priorities, and the world doesn't listen to us like it listens to those who are anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. Why? Because we have overcome the world. Because we have been transferred to a different team. Because we've been adopted into a new family. God's family. We no longer belong to the world, therefore we no longer think and act like the world. And this becomes evident in our family relationships, in our friendships, when those who belong to the world begin to say, you're you're different. They might say, hey, this is not the way our family works. And in many of those ways, that's now true. Because you've been adopted into a new family. The world is our former team. Those are our old clothes. We no longer play for those trophies. We no longer live to win over those belonging to the world so that they would accept us. We who belong to God, we embrace our exile living. We embrace the fact that our road will be harder, will be different. That likely we won't succeed in the same margins that those who are willing to compromise will. 
One more layer that John has shown us that we need to not miss when we consider what it means that we have overcome the world. The world here includes a lost and sinful system, a mindset that is against God. John also spoke to this in chapter 2, verse 16. Let me remind you, 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Consider these with me for a moment by remembrance as we consider what it is to overcome them in our passage today. John is clear to say that those who are born of God are not enslaved to these things anymore. We've overcome them in Christ's victory in our place, and we are overcoming them daily in an ongoing fight against the flesh, against the world, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, church. When John says the desires of the flesh, the Greek word used there for desire is the same word for lust. It's a word I spoke pretty detailed about last week on my standalone sermon on idolatry. It's a word you should need to know. It's the word epithumia. Epithumia is an over-desire. It's an excessive desire. It's a sinful desire. It could be for a wicked, evil thing, or it could be for a very good thing, but it's sinful because there's an over-desire for it. All throughout the New Testament, this word pops up when dealing with the core of one's heart. Epithumia is a desire for anything in this world, good or bad, that we would value, cling to, sell out for more than God. Remember this quote from John Calvin I shared with you last week. The evil in our desire typically does not lie in what we want, but that we want it too much. So often the object of our desires is good, but the evil lies in the lordship of the desire in your life. So test it. As good as it is, as much as you've planned and prepared for it, are you able to hold it open-handedly and be satisfied in the Lord if it never comes, if you were to lose it? We must be mindful of how our fleshly desires lead us to betray true devotion and love to God. Paul warns in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, he says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And therein lies much of our journey, is it not, church? All those little moments where you're like, this is what I really want to do. And we're really struggling. Oh, is, is, do I have liberty to do this? Is, is it? And, and, and we're really like in the middle of it. And when we belong to Christ, we've we got to make war with all of that. Be very mindful of a battle that's happening. As we seek God's word, as we go to prayer, as we invite others in to walk with us, that's the goal. The goal is that you'd be loved enough to, to really hold it rightly. That, that my, I'm not so caught up in it that it has to be that I'm willing to hold it Loose enough that Jesus is really enough. Look with me, another emphasis John gives in verse 16, John, 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, that epithumia, 
He also speaks to the pride of life. is not from the Father, but from the world. Do you know that any form of pride is not from the Father, it's from the world? Pride is an enemy of God. Pride is evil. Why is it evil? Because pride causes man to believe he is worthy of worship and praise. Bible clearly tells us that man is not worthy of worship and praise. I, I want you to see pride for what it is. I want to continue to encourage you to remove it from the ways you think about life, the ways you talk to others. That you see that it is pride, the concept of pride is a secular thing. It, it, it belongs to the vernacular of the world, not to the vernacular of a Christian. At its root, pride is demonic. It's the essence of the fallen angel who in his pride became a demon. The chosen weapon of Satan and mankind's demise from day one, it was the core of Adam and Eve's folly to make it about themselves instead of what God was clear to say. It is pride that caused Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit and their desire to be like God. Ever since Eden, pride has been the problem of mankind. The world is a demonically inspired culture that wants to make you and me the center of the universe. Wants to make your glory the ultimate goal of your existence wants you to think that everyone should really realize how amazing you are, how right you are. It's pride. If you're feeling like, Pastor, that's a little firm. Is it really that bad? I, I talk about how I'm proud in so many like good ways. And I, I, again, would challenge you to, and I know it's hard, I've spoken this way for a long time, to ditch it. So don't just take my word for it. Here are a few scriptures. Proverbs 16, 16, and 17. A proud look, just a proud look, is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 15, 25. God promises to destroy the house of the proud. Proverbs 21, 4. A haughty look, a proud heart, are sin. God opposes the proud. Think about that. We do not want to be opposed to God. But consider how normal pride is in the world, in the way we talk, the flag that we fly for our sports, the, the vernacular of our pride for our country, the ways we think about and raise and pour into our children. But I pray you would see the deception of the world's ways. To be proud is to fight God. The, biblical, the Bible also says that God gives grace to the humble. We don't need pride. We need grace. We need to understand that our, our pride leads us away from God and His truths. It's a trap door into deception, into lostness, into being right in our own eyes, into being the center of, of, of our lives. Because in your pride, you don't 
think of your need for Christ. You stop seeing Him as the source. You start to think that you can do it on your own. You lose your dependence on Him. So I encourage you, instead of saying to your son or daughter that you're proud of them, in a way that points them to their accomplishments, speak of how you are thankful to God for them. That the praise is on God you can acknowledge their hard work. You can, you can celebrate the good things that are happening. But we need to not put on pride. Because it takes us down a road we cannot be if we belong to God. And in every part of you that's just saying, Pastor, but that just seems so abnormal. Yes, now you're getting it. We are not looking to be normal. We are not looking to fit in. We have overcome the world. We are exiles in this world. We are sojourners. Share with your children that you're thankful to see them pursue God, to work hard, to aim to honor Him in what they do. See, pride talk says you did it. Praise be to you. Thankfulness to God talk says look at God. See how God is at work in and through you. Praise be to God. He's the one deserving of the praise and the credit. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires, the epithumia of the flesh, the epithumia of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So, hear this today, church. You and I are going to continually be tempted by all three of these things in the flesh. In the world we live in, the desires of your physical body, of your eyes, of your pride. But praise God that while we are at war with them now in Christ, they no longer own us. This is what John's emphasizing. You've overcome them. Hear it again. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So don't say, this is just who I am. When speaking of struggles and sinful ways and old man stuff. No, don't hang your hat on that. Who you are is a child of God. Who you are is born again. The power and victory of Christ. When he says, we who have been born again have overcome the world, he's saying, we have something the world doesn't. What is it? Love for God. Through faith in Christ that joyfully submits one's life to obedience to his commands. I, that's the essence of essentially the first three verses that lead us to verse 4. Let me remind you, 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. They have right doctrine, right core doctrine of the fundamentals of the faith. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love the Father and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Praise God for his work to give us new birth, 
and for what it means to our lives that we can now love Him and trust Him and obey Him. This is what the world and those still belonging to the world don't do. They don't do this. No matter how sweet they are, no matter how good they may seem, those who do not belong to Christ do not love God. They do not trust God. They do not obey God. Be careful to recognize that this is not something we acquire or learn on our own in some kind of religious way. No, we are utterly, fully, completely dependent on Christ, who is our substitute, our mediator, our victor. We have overcome the world because Christ overcomes the world. He said so himself in Gospel of John 16.33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The influence and power of the world is powerful, but hear me today, it's not all powerful. One greater than the world, one who is mightier than the world's prince, has come and conquered it. The world did its utmost in battle, but the Son of God prevailed. Church, we must understand and never forget that the world is a conquered domain. It has been conquered for us by Christ. In this we take courage because the storms and the trials and the persecutions will rage at us. But we need to cling to Jesus. That they only, these things only drive us closer to the one who reigns over it all. Jesus proclaimed that he has been given all authority in heaven and earth in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. This is a critical truth we must never forget or lose sight of. Jesus, our King, our bloody champion, our God, has overcome the world. Amen? Do you know this? Do you, do you have that under your feet? Is it in the filter of how you're thinking about your days and the things you're going through it needs to be this is why it's here god ordained it to holy scripture it's why he caused john to write it to always have a right view of the lordship of god over all things first chronicles 29 11 i love this verse yours O lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Isaiah forty eighteen. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? For Samuel 2.2, 2, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Yes, the world will rage at us. Suffering, death, injustice, persecution will be real for us in the here and now. 
But Jesus has overcome the world. Amen? You have to know that. You have to not forget it. You have to wake up and live it out every day. Our peace is found in Jesus. Our security is found in Jesus. Our victory is found in Jesus. If this is the case, then we must have total faith in Jesus. Understand that Jesus' victory will not be your victory unless you have saving faith in Him alone. This is John's driving point in the second part of verse 4. Look with me, 1 John 5, 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Christ's victory on the cross is for all those that God gives new birth and saving faith. This is a wondrous miracle of God that we see at work today. God changing a dead, enslaved heart to life. New birth. Giving the gift of saving faith. God saving undeserving sinners by giving them faith in the one who has overcome the world, giving them allegiance and alignment with the King of Kings. See the miraculous tidal wave of salvation moving around the world today. God saving undeserving sinners to new life. Does God still work miracles every day? See the gracious work of God to redeem and ransom many. Victory belongs to the Lord. God wins and His people will enjoy Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. John's emphasis on faith here is unique, though, in his letters. And so I want to slow this morning and tackle it from a different angle. John says our faith is the key to our joining Christ in victory over the world. The Word of Truth Catechism asks and answers this in question 86. What must we do to be saved? When we are enabled by the power and will of God, that's new birth, His work to give us regeneration, we will joyfully and willingly turn from sin and trust in Christ Jesus alone. This is saving faith. God's Word gives us a great definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, 1-3. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right away, we're given a twofold definition of faith. I want to look at both parts this morning with you briefly. 
the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let's consider both for a moment. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Let's start there. To help us understand this, the author of Hebrews gives us an illustration of verse 3. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is now seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith understands the world that is seen was made out of what is not seen. The Holy God, His Word. How is faith evidence of things unseen? Namely, that God created the Word the world by his word. Paul says it this way in Romans 1.20, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made. The word understood here in Romans 1.20 is the same word understand in Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. Faith, at least in part, is a spiritual seeing or perceiving of the fingerprints of God on the things He's made. The fingerprints of God on the things He's made, the order, the beauty, the greatness, the complexity of the evidence that God made the world. And we all look, according to Scripture, at the same fingerprints. The difference is some see it with spiritual faith and some don't. Who decides who has spiritual eyes to see and who doesn't? Well, the Lord, the Bible makes it clear that God decides. For those who trust in Him, for those who believe in Him, He has given them eyes to see and to savor who He is. Hebrews 11.1 1, Faith is the conviction, or better, the evidence of things not seen. Taking hold of God who cannot be seen because you see Him in the evidence of His fingerprints. And you believe the spiritual act. It doesn't mean you believe him into being. That would be some kind of wishful thinking, power of positive thinking nonsense. That's not authentic faith. Real faith is based on real truth, not just wishful thinking. Real faith is a gift from God. Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you, it's been given to you for the sake of Christ. You not only believe faith in Him, but suffer for His sake. Saving faith is a gift of God that awakens one to embrace the Lord instead of just see Him in His creation and keep moving by. It stops. Faith takes hold. Faith changes your life. Because now God becomes your center. And everything begins to really change. Faith looks deeply at the world God has made, the evidence of His hand at work in people's lives around you. And by the grace of God, He gives new birth unto saving faith. Hear all of John 1 John 5, 4 again. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Look with me at the second part of the definition of faith that we have here in Hebrews 11.1. Faith is also the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is a deep confidence that the promises of God will come true. It is so much confidence that His promises will come true, you bank your entire life on them. That's saving faith. It is a deep and true hope in God's ability to deliver. Instead of what you had previously hoped in, that cannot deliver. Whatever it was. Faith is being so sure of God's promises, we put our hope in them. All of our lives. Faith is being so sure of the, that the invisible God exists and is worthy of our obedience and praise. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You will not know the victory Jesus claimed over sin and death, over the powers and temptations of this world, if God does not give you new birth and saving faith in Christ alone. Understand, when this happens, if this happens to you, it changes everything. Praise God. Nothing about it's casual. You move from being enslaved to the world, enslaved to your sin, enslaved to your flesh, to being bound to Christ, to being bound to His victory, bound to His power, bound to His love. If this is you, if this is God's work in you today, you've trusted your entire life to Him. He gets it all. True faith, saving faith, is trusting Jesus and giving Him your life. It is passing over the line of belonging to yourself. Now you belong to Him. It is dying to self and living to Christ, Scripture says. And that is true conversion. We talk about one's conversion. We're not just talking about some mystic moment. We're talking about a real change. Conversion is a Holy Spirit-empowered response to the gospel call by which a person willingly and sincerely repents of their sin and places his or her complete trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The word conversion means turning It represents a spiritual turn, a turn from sin, a turning to Christ. The turning from sin is called repentance. The turning to Christ is called faith. It is a trusting your life to Him, into Him. First uh, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him, the Greek there, all the believing into Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. We don't just believe about Him. That is needed. We have a right doctrine, a right belief of who He is. But additionally, we believe into Him. We trust our lives to Him, all of it. What does that mean? It means if Christ is not enough, you're done. You're baked. But if He is enough, You're saved. 
True trust in Jesus means there is no parachute backup, no second plan. It's all on Christ or it's nothing. We don't add a little faith in Christ to the buffet of our spiritual journey. We don't also trust in something else. No, Scripture says we die to ourselves and we completely trust our lives and everything in it to Jesus. My life, my eternity is Jesus or nothing. That's the testimony of a true believer. And in this, we must see that a believer in Jesus is not someone who just proclaims belief in Jesus or trust in Jesus at one time, but a true believer is one who lives their life trusting in God, obeying God. And I've said this before, we all believe in something, we all trust in something. You're banking on something. But conviction and belief in something is not enough. It must be in Jesus alone to be saved, to be converted, to be victorious, to overcome the world. For He alone overcomes the world. He alone saves undeserving sinners, forgives so that we can be forgiven of all of our sin. He alone unites us to the Holy God. Now, we must have proper faith in who Jesus is. I said that a moment ago. John made this clear. that Those who do not believe that Jesus is who he said he is do not know God. This is his reminder in verse 5. As he highlights, we must have correct doctrine, correct belief when it comes to the essentials of who Jesus is. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's in contrast to the deceivers who were saying something otherwise. John Stott has a helpful recap of what John has said in his letter leading up to this verse. He's speaking of unshakable conviction that the Jesus of history is the Christ. That's the point made in chapter 5, verse 1. in the sense which the false teachers denied that he's the Christ, as was spoken to us in chapter 2, verse 22. The unshakable conviction that Jesus is the pre-existent Son of God. He's eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He became human in order to bring us salvation and life. That's chapter 4, 14, and 19. It is belief in Jesus, the true Son of God, the eternal Son of God who put on flesh, who saved sinners, who is the promised Messiah, it is belief in Him. In Him alone that overcomes the world. This is the point John is making. This is the victory. Our belief, our confidence in the fully divine, fully human person of Jesus, His finished work in our place, is the true weapon against which no worldly lie or wicked ways of the world can overcome. No, instead, we have overcome them as we cling to Christ alone, our victor, our bloodied champion. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See with me, church, the good news of what John is saying here. He's saying that for some, God gives new birth. He gives saving faith that is unto overcoming the world. That means the gift of faith is the prize that allows us to see all that the world has to offer, that all of that pales in comparison. We can now see that. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Christian, don't be lured by what the world's selling you again. It's counterfeit. It's junk. It's going to break. It's not going to fulfill you. And they're good at marketing, right? And they're good at hitting you in that new season of life. Or whatever those things are. It's counterfeit. It's junk. My soul's overcome it. I have Jesus. Think about what Jesus just said. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Forfeits his soul. That guy gets it all. Everything the world is selling That guy gets it all. All that the tempter is promising, that guy gets it all. You can have it all and still forfeit your soul. And still not overcome the world's damnation due to its rebellion and sin against God. The most important thing. If you're tempted to say, but I might just do this one thing the way the world's offering it. Please see what the world is offering pales in comparison to what those who were born again, who have saving faith, have. Only those in Christ overcome. Only those in Christ have eternal victory. Some of you might be saying, but I do choose Jesus. I I choose God. But then when the temptations of the temporal world are offered up on a platter before you, or the things you thought you have overcome in your death grip on them you're about to lose, the identity you once thought you really had in, in the old man's life is about to be challenged, about to be lied about, You're threatened. Your dreams are challenged by what God has revealed His will for your life is. In that moment, many will show who they really belong to. Many will say they believe on Sunday, but then like the rich young ruler did, when it comes to choosing the prizes of this life versus what God promises They choose the world. This is what we see in Matthew 19, 22. Guy seems to be, hey, I want God. I've obeyed the laws. What do I got to do? Jesus knows the state of his heart. Challenges the idols of his life. Get rid of that stuff. Come follow me. And what does it say? He walked away sad. Left.
because he liked his stuff, because he liked his temporal status. In the end, he wanted them more than God. Many will choose what they can enjoy today instead of God. Because essentially many lack true faith. Faith that trusts in Christ. Faith that trusts in what you can't see. Faith that hopes in His promises instead of what's on the plate before you, on the table before you, in the room before you, in the contract before you, in the design before you. Faith that is based on the promises of God instead of the pragmatics of the world. I've seen this firsthand in multiple decades of pastoral ministry at people who are so excited about what they're beginning to glean in God, enjoying in our church even. But when God's clearly revealed will and command is before them in a moment of important accountability and testing of to whom they really belong, they walk. They walk. They walk away sad. Just like the rich young ruler. For they too have many possessions and priorities that in their minds are good and right. That they're unwilling to give up. They're unwilling to walk by faith in honoring God, despite the cost. Will you join me in praying for these? You know, you know them in your lives. Maybe this describes you today. Let's pray. Let's pray for real repentance, that real faith would go to work. To trust God and obey His commands. It is right here that you must see most clearly that your victory, your overcoming in Christ, doesn't mean this life will be easy or that you won't have real sacrifices and hardships. And it's right there in that moment where that temptation is, but I just want it to look like all these other people. Can't, can't I just have what they have? And right there you've got to see the lie. You've got to see the deception. You've got to see the offering to look like the world. That's why you've got to be in the Word, church. You've got to continue to be reminded that the most faithful that came before us, that God has chosen to highlight, they lost their lives. They were killed. They lost their families. They lost their status. You've got to remember. It's going to be hard. We who belong to Christ will have many battle wounds from real hardship. We will suffer many injustices, persecution, but we will win. Do you know that? You have victory in Him. Know it. This is John's driving this home for his brethren. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, hear Paul's words. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither by sexual 
by the sexually immoral idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul emphasizes here, such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Christian, you are no longer of this world. You have overcome the world in Christ because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? We who have been born again by the Spirit of God trust in Jesus alone. That is our victory, our prize. This is the only way we overcome the world. What a gift. What a good gift of God. If this morning you do not yet belong to God, if you have not yet trusted your life to Jesus alone for salvation, guest, visitor, family, child, repent of your sin. Confess it. And trust all of your life to Jesus to be Lord and Savior and be saved. If God has given you new, new birth this day, then you too are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of your God. Then you too have overcome the world and are victorious with Christ. If this is you today, do you tell someone who's mature in the faith, if you don't know someone else here, find someone. Find a leader. We'd love to celebrate this with you. We want to walk with you. We want to shepherd you well in the newness of your faith. Ask the hard questions. Dig in with those that have loved you and invited you. We would love nothing more than to do this with you and walk that road. Pray with me. God, Oh God, we are thankful for you, for your grace, for your mercy, for your power, for your word. What a wondrous work you do every time you save a guilty sinner and wash them and sanctify them and justify them and make them yours in Christ. Thank you for those of us for whom you've done this for. Given us new birth. Given us saving faith. Trust in your promises. Eyes to see who you are. To glorify you and worship you. To obey you. To testify you to the world. We did nothing but sin. And you did everything we needed to make us yours. And for this we say thank you God. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank, thank you for empowering us with the spirit of truth. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for being with us all the way until we're home. For giving us all we need. And so we join Paul in our prayer, in our singing, who said in Romans 8, 
35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.